Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Those who spend their life studying books of the Bible say that Paul must have been an avid sports fan because throughout his letters he will use sports metaphors to say the Christian life is like this or like that. In this passage he is talking about a foot race, a running race. Uh, recently we've had the Boston Marathon, if you recall. Uh, they have try to have it every year. And the marathon, the 26-mile run, has been established for well over 2,000 years. In fact, by the time Paul comes on the scene, it had already been established as a multi-time-per-year race to figure out who is the best. It came from the ancient Greeks when they were fighting and somebody uh, won a battle and they sent the foot soldier to run back to Marathon to tell them that they had won the battle and that was 26 miles away and after the Greeks found peace and the Greeks loved their games, they said, hey, that's a great little running distance, so let's make a marathon and we have it today and all over the United States you have this marathon and that marathon and this half marathon and running the races, and Paul knew about this because in all the major cities where he was at, they would have games and they would have things to, uh, to entertain the people so they didn't realize how bad the economy was, actually. And in this time, in verse 12... He is coming down after talking about his his resume, his uh, pedigree. And anybody, any Jewish person who would look at all the stuff that Paul had done and that was done to him as he was growing up as a Jewish person, they they would like that. They would want to be that. They would say, boy, if I was only Paul, then the world would love me then I would be great, then I'd be famous, I'd be rich, and all this kind of stuff. And so he comes in 12 and he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. And a Jewish person reading this would say, but wait a minute, you just said you were perfect. You just said everything that was going on, you were a Pharisee. There's nothing, nobody more perfect Then a Pharisee, the Jewish mindset back then and probably today is that if you study hard enough, if I work hard enough, if I pray the right prayers, if I go to synagogue all the right times, if I go through a 
bar mitzvah, if I do these various things, then I am earning points with God, they believe. And if I get enough points, then I am, in God's eyes, perfect on earth. I have earned perfection, was the Jewish mindset. And anybody who had done that, who had followed all the rules to earn perfection, would have been Paul. And he says, but I'm not there yet, and in fact, I'm not perfect. And so what is he saying? He is saying that he has learned because he called all of his accomplishments rubbish, garbage, worthless stuff. And so he is saying that what true righteousness is, what true perfection is, is something totally different than the Jewish people have uh, presented up to this point. Paul understands that when you accept Jesus Christ, Christ's perfection, Christ's righteousness is imputed to him, is imputed to you. It is put on you like a robe. It is not your righteousness. It is not earned righteousness. It is put on you. So when you accept Jesus Christ and you move from darkness to light, you move from a state that we call total depravity, you're desperately wicked. Everything in you is evil and wicked and anti-God. Then you accept Christ and you move into light. You receive Christ's righteousness, but you bring along the wickedness and the depravity. Your inner being hasn't caught up with your external righteousness is the best way to say it. And you say, but don't I get the Holy Spirit? Yes, you get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is living inside of a sin nature, is living inside of somebody who hasn't caught up. And when we talk about the Christian life and the good works that we do, these are things that we do to catch up and to make the inside match the outside. And Paul is saying... His inside, his spirit, his nature is not perfect yet. God calls him perfect because of the work of Christ. But if you look at it, look in a mirror, look inside yourself. I'm not perfect. I still sin. I still do things against God, even though I know better. Okay? And so Paul is saying he's not perfect, but he presses on. And the idea of pressing on is, imagine a runner, if you will. A runner is, you know, the, the, the Kenyans are up there at the Boston Marathon because they're always at the front. But I'm trying to catch them up, I'm trying to catch them up, and I see the finish line, I give it all that I got. I push and push and push and push and push to beat them to get to the finish line. And if we look at what Paul is saying, the first thing we have to do, the first thing we have to understand is an awareness of our situation, of the race, of the uh, pressing on that we need to do. We need to be growing 
as we believe in Christ. There's a phrase that has been talked about uh, in this pulpit and from uh, the stage, and that is being a better Christian. That is, tomorrow I'm a better Christian than I am today. And what does that mean? And the idea is, once you get that mindset, that I don't coast, that I don't say... You know, when we talk about retirement, you never retire from being a Christian, okay? You are always working at that until your last breath, and then Jesus says, you're all done, enter your rest. And we go, yay, because we're tired of working at it. And we keep working at it, and we keep working at it, and we have to be aware. I need to look at myself and say, yesterday... I said this to a person, or I did this activity, and that was sinful. I don't do it to beat myself up. I don't do it to feel all guilty and depressed, and I'm no good, and I'm you know, going to go to the garden and eat worms. I don't get depressed about my sin. I'm aware of it. I know where I'm going. I know where the finish line is. The finish line is heaven. Okay, I know where that's going. I am going to the finish line and I realize that there are obstacles. We sing songs about I want to know you more. Every hindrance out of my way. I want to know you more. You've got to be aware of what you got to work on. You hear somebody say, Oh, they read something in the Bible, and you think, boy, I need to read the Bible more, okay? There's nothing sinful there, there's nothing guilt-ridden there, there's nothing to be regretful, you just have the point that the Holy Spirit talks to you and says, read your Bible a little more, and then you figure out how to do that, you schedule it, you set a reminder in your phone, you do all sorts of anything because you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you need to read your Bible more and you say, all right, let's do this. And you, you get to doing it and that's a good work. You're a better Christian tomorrow if you read the Bible more than you read it today. You are growing. The sin nature is being beaten down. You are getting up to the righteousness of Christ and so, an awareness of what this is doing. And I've talked to people who say, well, I'm just not a better Christian than I was last week. And I said, well, what did you do differently? And they say, what do you mean? I said, what did you plan on doing? What did you pray through? What leading is God giving you? And they say, what do you mean? And this lets me know that they are not aware of and planning, okay? There is a, you can let life just happen to you. You can. You can just do whatever external force comes and you just react to it and you let things happen and you let life happen to you. Christian life requires a little more planning a little more direction and we live in a plethora of tools to schedule things 
and have things beep at us. You can even have uh, your phone read the Bible to you. There are audio Bibles out there, and you can put them on the phone, and you say, I don't have time, and maybe you don't, to read the Bible more, but while I'm doing dishes, I'll listen to it. And so you, you play the Bible over some speakers, and it's still getting in. And if you go through the Bible that way, you don't have to read it. There's no command to read the Bible. There are actually commands to hear it. Because back in Jesus' day, back in Paul's day, literacy was an issue. But you could get a smart guy in your town, a rabbi perhaps, to pick up a scroll and to read it to everybody. And they'd all gather around. Jesus never, at the Sermon on the Mount, commanded people to read their Bible. He commanded them to hear his words. And so the idea of, I can't read, I don't have time to read, but I want to listen while I drive. I know people who do that, who have a fairly long commute, and they put on a Bible, a reading Bible on their phone and listen to it while they commute. Fantastic. You will become a better Christian. And so in verse 12, he continues and he says he presses on. And this idea is that there is effort, that there is maximum effort. The, I, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures. I tried to find a good one, but I couldn't. Of people in a race and, and they're like stretching for the finish line, you know. They're just, uh, trying to be the first one across. They're elongating their body so they're the first ones across. And we need to have that sort of view that we don't say, boy, that's easy. Everybody should do it. No, that's hard. It's difficult. It takes practice. And we need to have that attitude of the Christian life is going to take some work, okay? Am I earning salvation? No. Am I earning God's favor? No. Will God love me more if I read my Bible more? No. Then why do you do it? Because I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a better follower of God. I want to look at my life and say, I am putting the effort necessary to follow my Lord and Savior. And then in 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider what I have made my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. We need to be focused about the future, about what I'm doing. It's very easy to... Think about your past life and blame it for everything. Or to think about your past life and blame other people that were in your past about where you're at. To disparage your past. Okay? We don't live in the past. If I'm thinking about my past and I'm bothered by something, what do I do? I pray about it. And what can God do? He can sanctify your past. What does sanctify means? It means set apart for his glory. He can take your bad decisions, he can take the injuries, he can take the sicknesses, the traumas, the catastrophes, the if-onlys that we throw on the past 
and turn them all around to believe that these are things that God has brought me to to make me the better Christian that I am today. We have suffering, we have problems, we have misunderstandings. Uh, you get fired from your job, your car catches on fire. I mean, all sorts of stuff. These things are things that God brings into our life, either causes or allows. If it's not sin, God caused it. If it's sinful, God made Satan do it, basically, that God allowed Satan to be into your life. And as we come through that, we are learning all manner of things about God and about our lives, and we're constantly looking forward. Now, how does God move somebody from point A to point B? How does God move down the road? There are two primary ways, and God usually uses a little bit of both, but there's two primary uh, foundational ways that God moves somebody. The first is there's a shiny object out here. Okay, God says, come over here, and this blessing will be here. And you say, fantastic, I'm going to do it. It, that it is a good thing, that it is you, you move to here, you invest here, that God will lead us and show things that are good about the future, that we look toward this, and if I only do this with my life, I will get this blessing, and I will have more understanding or something of this nature. The enticing, the shiny object of the future. The second is... He makes you dissatisfied about your current situation. There's a thing called inertia. Inertia is a physics term. It means that a body in motion will stay in motion. A body that is stopped will say stop. You go to outer space where there's no atmosphere and there's no gravity. And you just put a ball in space. It'll just sit there. It'll sit there until Jesus comes back. If you push the ball... It'll move. That's called inertia. It was Galileo or Copernicus or somebody figured that one out. And we are very inertia-level people that if I'm not moving, I don't want to move. But if I am moving, if I start going to the gym every day, I want to go to the gym tomorrow sort of thing that, we, that God will push us out of our current state and he will pull us to a new state. And we need to be aware and say, but I'm, you know, I'm uncomfortable, I'm discontented. And think, well, maybe that's God moving me. Maybe that's God wanting me to do something different. The idea that God is fully and absolutely satisfied with your growth is not true. He loves you as much as he can. You're the apple of his eye. You are a delight to him. But he wants you to grow. He wants you to be different. He wants you to be a better Christian tomorrow than you were today. And so he says in 14, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, back then as today, we say God is up there. Okay, God is up. Okay, that is the view of, and, and the Bible is clear that God is everywhere. So God is over there, over there, and up, okay? But we say heaven's up, okay? That's how we think. 
And Paul is saying that's his goal. That his goal of this life is to go up there with God and with Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of God. And if, as we're talking about this sort of thing, it should be in every mind that this world is not the end unto itself, that this world is pointing us toward and we point toward our upward goal of God in Jesus Christ. We want to be in the presence of God and we get there through Jesus Christ. And then he says in 15, let those who are mature, and he actually uses a different form of the word perfect in the original language. So over here he's saying, I'm not perfect. But over here he says, if you're perfect, and what is he saying? He is saying that there are two levels of perfection. In seminary, we call them position and condition. I am positionally as best as I can with God. I can't get any better. I can't get more love. I can't get more forgiveness. I have gotten everything positionally. And it talks about that in the first chapter of Ephesians, if you want to Get your mind blown about you being in the heavenly places already. But we are positionally a certain way with God. He counts us. Conditionally, I'm broken. Okay, I'm sinful. I need to work on it. And so if you are positionally perfect, you're saved. You are uh, forgiven by the blood of Christ. You are definitely on the right track. But you need to recognize what you are inside and try to make the two become one, which will only happen when Jesus Christ comes back again and we get our glorified body. When we're glorified, we're glorified through and through, made perfect, sin nature is gone. Heaven will be great if for nothing else there's going to be no sin. Okay, and, and that you can't even imagine that because we live in a sinful situation. And so then he says in 16, only let us hold true to what we've attained. And so the, there is a standard that was presented to you when you became a Christian. The standard of, I'm sinful, I can't fix it myself. Jesus Christ comes, dies on a cross. I accept that. I'm now saved. Okay? That is the gospel, in essence. That is the standard by which everyone is saved. You find Paul in heaven, and you say, well, how are you saved? And he'll give you that story. That, that, is, that, is, how, that is how people are saved. They accept that as true, and they believe it. The difficulty is, once you're saved, some people say, well, I'm in. i got to stop working. I don't even have to go to church. I could care less about God. He saved me, and I'm just moving on. Other people say, well, I'm only partially saved, and I need to work hard to be saved the rest of the way. And the truth is, neither of those extremes, we don't earn anything from God, but we understand that the standard, what we received when we got saved, 
is what we're living where living with every day. There's a book that I have somewhere boxed up in my office. This called Saved by Grace, Sanctified by Grace. Every day when I want to be a better Christian, I get the ability to do that through the grace and power of God. And the things I need to do, if you are a Christian, you need to read your Bible every day. But I don't read my Bible every day. Try. Try to read your Bible every day. Get better at it every day. We need to pray every day. Praying about what you're reading in the Bible is a good idea. There's lots of things that are presented on Sunday morning. We can pray about that. We can pray about people. We need to follow a godly example. Where do you find godly examples? Well, you find them in church. We just had an amazing service for Vi Hubbard yesterday. The godly examples you have do not have to be walking around on earth anymore. You can remember a great Christian saint that you knew when you were younger and that can inspire you. You can say, I want to be like Vi. She was known as a prayer warrior. I want to be a prayer warrior like Vi. So I remember how she was, how she prayed, how she talked, things of that nature. There are godly examples all over the place, usually not on the evening news, but they're all over the place uh, from a Christian standpoint, you find them in church, you find them in church history, biographies that were written about ancient Christians. You can read that and you go, wow, this guy prayed for two hours a day. George W. Bush, whatever you believe about presidents or Republicans or whatever, he's thought that being president of the United States was such an awesome task. He woke up in the wee hours of the morning and prayed two hours about his day. Okay? He's a 20th century guy that has more work to do than you will ever imagine. And he was able to carve out two hours a day because of the weight of the decisions that he had to make. Good, bad, or indifferent about his politics, that is something to go, huh, I'll try to get five minutes tomorrow. I'll try to get ten minutes. But busy, busy men find out ways to do two hours. And so these are godly examples that we can look at and we can say, huh. And lastly, we have trials, we have sufferings, we have difficulties. doesn't mean God hates you. It means God loves you and he wants to sanctify you and he wants to chip away. Chip, 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 chip. At all the rocks that we have built up in our lives to make you more like his son. Our goal in this life is to be Christ-like to be like Jesus. And so, what was Jesus like? we got four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read that, read Romans, read Philippians, because Paul talks about what Jesus was like. And in doing so, you will move along and you will be a better Christian tomorrow 
than you are today. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we just thank you for this day. I just pray that you would give us the strength to make the right decisions to be a better Christian tomorrow than we are today. Lord, I thank you for all of this and ask your blessing on the remainder of the day. We ask this in the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.